Good evening, everyone. Welcome to episode one of Inner Voice. I'm your host, Antonio Feliz. You can call me Malik, Lamont, whatever you want to call me. I stated my name earlier this morning. So again, whatever you guys want to call me, you can call me. So tonight is a very special night. Well, it's episode one. It's the beginning of a new journey for me and for a lot of people. A lot of people that I want to help. Now I walk around every day. I go to work. I wake up, I go to work, I come back, I go to sleep. But I notice things during my day. I notice people. And not people, but their attitude, their mindset, their personality. Right? And I notice how they are towards others. How they treat others. How they talk about others. I'm gonna tell you something. I'm gonna tell you something important. Tonight is a good night. Tonight is a good night. Because tonight, I'm gonna share with you a very personal story. Not a story that I tell everybody. And the purpose of this story, I'm not going to mention anybody's names for the for to protect the innocent. No, so nobody's names will be answered or nobody's names will be mentioned. But I am telling this story as a way, you know, to get you to understand that you are you know, you are you are appreciated. You are not alone, you know? You're not alone. So when I was a child, my mother, my mother was 16 when she was pregnant with me. My mother was 16 when she was pregnant with me. Um, I actually just recently found this out. And she, when she got pregnant, my grandma, her mother, told her that she should do an adoption. Oh, not adoption, abortion, my bad, abortion, right? So she told her, she told her that she should do an abortion. And my mom told her no. Well, she thought about it and then she told her no. My mom, when I was born, was 17. My mom gave me away the day that I was born. I didn't get to, you know, witness what it's like to have a blood mom, a a biological mother. And I actually didn't find out I was adopted till I was 18 and didn't meet my mother until I was 22. This is just recent. So my mom sent me off she was originally i was originally supposed to be adopted by um a certain family but when i was getting adopted i guess the family was no longer qualified for adoption so they ended up sending me somewhere else so my my adopted family came in now 
again, as I stated, I'm not going to mention any names. We're going to make up names so I can get to the point. My adopted mom had a lot of kids. And with one kid, it's a responsibility. But with 11, including myself, it's a lot. So my mother, you know, my mother adopted me. And I didn't, again, didn't find this out till I was about 18, but I did see the differences in the family. Somehow, somehow I knew I was different. When I was young, I would always bump my head on everything. I had to wear a helmet when I did squats because if I did squats without a helmet, my, the weight of my head would pull me down and I would slam my head on the floor, literally every time. So I had to wear a helmet. And a lot of the time, a lot of time every day, I was wearing a headband with ice around my head because of that. I was a stubborn child. Even to this day, I'm still stubborn, you know? And if there's one thing you're gonna know about me and I'm gonna tell you in this podcast is that I do not like to listen to people. I don't. Something about me just hates it. I hate waiting on people. I hate uh, I hate arguing with people, you know? I hate some of the things people say, the way people, some people walk and talk and act. For me, there's just a lot of things I don't agree with. So growing up, this thing kind of took effect. Now, I remember as a child, I had a big thing towards stranger danger. My parents would tell me, stranger danger, you know, stay away from these people. Don't get associated with these people, right? But there was a thing about me, that friendly mentality that accepted anyone and everyone. And that was what told me I was different. It's the fact that I saw, even as a baby, as a child, I don't even remember what age I was, but as a child, I saw things different. I think I saw things a little too different one time because I don't know if I I was just tripping or dreaming or not, but one time I, I told everybody that I saw a Transformer looking like Optimus Prime outside the bedroom window. I still don't know if that was true. Used to think the garbage man was Oscar the Grouch. And I'm pretty sure one time I did see Oscar the Grouch driving the garbage truck. Either way, my point of all this is to tell you that as a child, I was different. And I knew I was different. And honestly, I really don't think I need to get a doctor's prescription to know that I am stupid. Mentally stupid. But I'm proud of it. I'm proud of it because being mentally stupid gives me a re- it gives me a way of understanding people. No, I'm not. I ha- for some reason have a, I have a good IQ, but when it comes to figuring certain things out, life lessons, for example, I can't do it. I cannot do it. It seems like every plan I make up comes up and then it blocks me in the face. But anyway, not to go off topic, right? So I grew up 
in a family with 11, 11 children, including myself. I lost my baby sister when she was eight due to some kind of disease. I still don't know what it was, but it really messed her up bad. It had her knees open, bleeding, her eyes bleeding. She just couldn't really eat anything. You know, I lost my baby sister when she was eight. I was 11. I didn't know what death was at the time. When my sister, who was babysitting at the time because my parents would stay at the hospital with my little with my little sister, my older sister came in the morning and she said she gave the news that that Thursday morning my little sister had died. I it didn't really hit me at the time. It didn't hit me until I went to her funeral and I saw her laying there as beautiful as she was beautiful blue dress you know sparkles everything as beautiful as she was she was laying there and I touched her hand and I felt how cold and stiff it was and I just started crying it was that day that I actually realized what death was and you know it kind of slapped me in the head a little bit that life is about to hit me you know <clears throat> so I grew up after this but let before I continue I actually want to say something about my little sister right my sister was eight years old a young and not to be racist but a young black dreamer she wanted to be a chef she always talked about cooking spaghetti for her brothers I could never forget that that was the one thing she would talk about cooking was spaghetti for her brothers and her and I would pretend a lot. We would pretend a lot that we were cooks. And when it came to Christmas time, we would sing together. We, our favorite song to sing together was Feliz Navidad. And we would sing it, you know, a lot. And my mom told me that she was going to get us a mic because, you know, we had just kept singing. Once she died, I think my... Well, I'll explain that. But once she died, it kind of changed everything you know my little sister wasn't just a sister she was a friend a good friend a close friend so I just wanted you know those who are listening to just have her in your heart even to this day she's still you know she's still there she's still got a high place in my heart so I grew up as again a stubborn child I um, wasn't the best of us. I know a lot of times I would, what people call snitch, I would snitch on my brothers so that I could get privileges, you know? The littlest things. I would tell the littlest things about them just so I can get privileges, right? And then the tables turned and then they started doing it to me and it didn't feel good. And that's kind of how my life went. It went this back and forth. You know what? You're going to tell on me. I'm going to get revenge and do it back. It was this kind of back and forth. And that's what built up the mindset that I have now. Revenge. You know, it, it hasn't it hasn't left. Now, now with me, it's like if somebody does something to me, I'm getting revenge. Regardless of who it is or what it is. That's That's what I'm working on right now. But right now, that's what my mindset is. And it's because of that. Growing up with my brothers, it was kind of this competition, right? So... As we got older, 
it the house narrowed down from everybody that was in there it was just four brothers left it and it was me my younger brother a bro uh, my brother that had you know autism and then two older brothers oh so five brothers but still I was the second youngest child and as we got older my older brother moved out and it was one of my older brothers left me my younger brother and my brother with autism kind of got a little hard because in my life even when everybody was living there I felt a sense of responsibility I felt a sense of I'm more than what I am. I'm more than what I think I am. You know, I'm supposed to be doing more. I'm supposed to be seeing more, saying more, you know, things like that. So I developed that mindset. And then it it you know, I was working hard. I was doing almost all the chores, literally dishwashing, sweeping, mopping, vacuuming, dusting, you name it, I was doing it, right? I was literally trying to prove something. And then it got to the point where I was doing so much chores that the chores had to be split up with people because I was doing everything in the house. I was basically taking care of the house. I wasn't paying the bills and all, but I was keeping the house clean and everything else. So the the chores got split with my older brothers. So once my older brother moved out, it was one older brother and myself. And it kind of became competition from there. Well, let me backtrack because my two older brothers kind of had a competition with each other, but it was just supposed to be play. It was it was just meant to be play. However, one of them took it serious, you know, and so they went with this back and forth challenging each other. Who's going to get a girlfriend first? Who's going to get a house first, a car first? Who's going to get a job first? Funny thing is, the one who was talking the trash lost with everything he lost okay my my older brother who i'll say who i'll give the name john because it's just a name out there okay i'll give the name john my older brother now has a kid i don't know if he's married i know he i know he has he has a girlfriend i i just don't know the story with that because i've haven't been around the family for a while um he already had a, an apartment he already he already had his things set he had his ducks in a row and my other older brother that I'll call Mark, right? Names from the Bible, right? So I'll call Mark. <clears throat> kept this competition in his mind. And he kind of built up this re- revengeful type thing, right? So when my older brother, John, moved out, then Mark got the mindset, okay, I'm the king of the house now. So his mindset was to be on top. So he would tell on everybody for what they did. He would say hurtful things. He got this mindset that nobody is going to take control of me. And he said some things to me that hurt me. He looked me in the face and told me I, would, I was useless, right? Told me I was useless. I would never amount to anything. What I say doesn't matter. Every time I told, every time I told him that I would report something he did, it was always, oh, then I'll tell what, the, what you did, you know? And I grew up with this mindset that what I say doesn't matter. What I say doesn't matter. I had a lot a lot of my brothers, right? And I know I did the same thing. I did the same thing. But see, there's it's there's there's a little twist in this, right? As I grew up, I had dreams. 
And these, this brother would put my dreams down, you know, would doubt me, would disrespect me, would, would just tell me, you know, like I said, I would never amount to anything. I'll never be good enough. You know, he told me I would never be good enough. He told my little brother who he, he's, he told my little brother, right? Who has uh, special needs and is a dreamer, had very good dreams, by the way. He told him that he would not amount to anything, that he couldn't amount to anything because of his situation. He put himself at the top of the ladder, that now he was basically the king of the world and he still has the mindset. I spoke to him a couple days ago. He still said the same thing, I could rule the world. So, you know, he grew that mindset with that. And then that's when it dawned on me. No longer would I sit here and try to do what everybody else does. But in fact, I got the mindset that now, instead of doing what everybody else does, I'm going to do what everybody else has failed to do. So I started making a list, went through all my brothers, sisters, family, everybody that, that had something they wanted to do in their life and they failed at. And I wrote it down and I said, okay, game on. So I didn't go to high school. I didn't go to, I didn't get a chance to go to actual high school because, you know, uh, parents wanted to send one person at a time because they hadn't sent anybody to high school in a minute so they sent my brother John he went he graduated you know he got his life together me however I went to a vocational school with my little brother we'll call we'll call Luke again names on the Bible anyway so my little brother will call Luke right he's the one I was telling you about that had special needs but he has big dreams right so I went to school with him and it was good. It was good. It was a vocation. It was a small vocational school. It was good. I was there six and a half sessions on my very first session. I got student of the month and then I got I got student of the month. I got 100 percent attendance and I got straight A student. My second session, I once again, student of the month, 100 uh, percent attendance, straight A student. And then all the sessions after that, I got an award. Uh, it was either 100% attendance, straight A student, either way I was getting an award. I was there six and a half sessions and had 11 awards already, way more than the average person there already had. So automatically I knew this is going to work. I'm going to be able to do, I'm going to be able to do this, right? When I first went to school, I doubted myself. I said, I'm not going to be able to do any of this. See, the funny, the funny thing was though, when I went there, everybody was asking me for help. Everybody was saying, how do you do this? How do you do this? How do you do this? And there were some things I didn't know, like in math in particular. But see, math has always been a challenge for me, a fun challenge for me. Sometimes it's irritating, but other times, you know, I just like to mess with it. So with this, I would go in, I would t do my schoolwork and people would ask me, oh, what's this? What's this? What's this? So I would end up as basically like the second teacher in my math class, right? Going around, explaining things to people, helping people out. So I knew it was gonna be a good path. However, I decided to make a very stupid decision. And I'm telling you this, if you haven't done this, don't do it. If you have, well, it's a mistake you do in life. Get over it, you've moved on, right? So when I was in this school, I had a lot of friends, a lot of friends. Most of my friends, however, were females. And I remember my parents telling me, don't associate yourself with some of the females there. All you're there for is to just get a, get get your diploma and get out. Well, I wanted 
a life. I wanted to put a life together. I was tired of seeing everybody else get a life. You know, everybody else have a girlfriend. Everybody else have a chance to be someone and not me. So I figured I want to be someone. I want I want a chance to do something great with myself, right? So I started with making friends. And there was a couple friends that I would associate in the beginning and then I saw who they really were and I figured, you know what? They're not the right people to associate with. And then others I was close to, I was almost neck and neck with, one in particular, right, who was almost like my best friend. And honestly, it was getting to the point where we were actually talking about a relationship with each other, right? I was 19 at the time, she was 17. Three, two years apart, but still a minor, right? So this is what I'm getting to. So on one of the days, my brother and I, my little brother Luke and I had to leave early. So because my older brother Mark had a job interview at Walmart and, you know, mom had to take him over there and she, you know, our school was in the path and she don't want to have to go and then have to come back, you know what I'm saying, and then go back out. It's too much work. So she figured, hey, I'll knock this out, take pull, you know, me and my little brother out early and then take my brother up to his interview and then come back. So I was in fifth period with this friend, right? I'll call her Lacey, right? So I was in I was in, in school with this friend, Lacey. And we were talking. This was the one who I was really close to, who we were talking about a relationship, possibly a relationship with each other. So I was talking to her. I was sitting with her, helping her do her work, right? So I saw my mom drive up. My little brother was in a different class. I was in math class. I got up. I gave this, I gave Lacey a hug. I will... But let me tell you how it happened, right? So Lacey was sitting, the way Lacey was sitting, it was it was a chair, her, and another chair. So she was sitting between two chairs. So I couldn't get on the side of her and give her a proper hug, right? So I told her, hey, stand up so I can give you a hug because if I hug you the way you're sitting, it's going to make you feel uncomfortable. It's going to make me feel uncomfortable. She said, no, I'm too lazy. I don't want to get up. So I hugged her from behind, right? The first time I did it right. But see, my dumb behind decided to make a mistake that, oh, I couldn't take it the first, I couldn't take the hug the first time, so I had to go back in and do it again, right? So I hugged her the second time. Now, me, the, what happened was not intentional, was not intentional at all. But see, me, I was tall. When I went to school, I was tall. I had long arms and I was tall. And then she was still sitting in the way she was sitting between two chairs. So the only way I could hug her was from behind. And I know some of y'all are gonna say I shouldn't have. And I'm telling myself, I shouldn't have. Every day I still go back and say, I shouldn't have done that. Like if only I had just walked out, I would have got through school, I would have graduated, I would have been gone, right? So I decided to go back and I gave her a hug from behind. However, um, my hands, which were intended on hugging her shoulders, went over her breast and it grabbed her breast. And see, the thing is, is that when I hugged her, I was not paying attention to what I was doing. There was a person in front of me, I looked up, I was talking to her, I was telling her, I forgot what I was telling her. But I was talking to her, was not paying attention to what I was doing, and misplaced my hand. What did it get me? An expulsion from school. See, a straight A student, 100% attendance, 11 awards. The teacher that pulled me aside and told me the incident that happened was actually my favorite teacher. And she had told me the day that I was crying my eyes out because I knew my career there was over. When I was crying my eyes out, she told me, 
you are the sun you're basically the sunlight of the school like everybody comes to you and they talk to you you know when everybody's down they come to you and they, they and you put a smile on their face you help everybody with their work you you volunteer for everything you're always there like you're always making an impact well that impact got me out the door so that's where i decided i'm not going to be friendly no more okay i'm i'm not doing it so i was kicked out of school I went home, I started GED. Well, we had planned on getting me to Job Corps, um, but Job Corps, I think, heard that why I was pulled out of school. I think they heard why exactly I was pulled out, so they wouldn't accept me, at least not at the time, right? So my, my mom and my dad kept persisting, get him in Job Corps, get him in Job Corps, it would be good for him, right? So they kept, they kept pushing for it. So in the meantime, it was decided that I would do Job Corps. All right, I would do GED. So I started studying GED, but Job Corps wasn't answering enough and I continued studying for GED. I went to all of my tests, passed all of my tests, didn't have to redo any. I got them all done, okay? But this is the thing. This is the funny part about it. See, the older brother, the older brother, Mark, right? Who had told me I would never amount to anything. This individual took the GED test and failed it. He had to keep redoing it. Me, I passed it, first try, everything, first try. And like I said, I'm not the smartest one, but I passed it, first try, right? So I got my GED done, yes, finally, you know? It was a Friday night, September 19th of last year, 2019, still pretty fresh. My mom goes in there, I had I had finished the, pre- the last test last week, and I guess they were trying to mess with it and trying to make me go in and redo something, but she told them to fix it, right? So my mom comes in, she says, what are you doing? I said, I'm making my bed, getting ready for the night. She walks in, she got a big old envelope in her hand. I, I, I knew where the diploma was gonna come from. And I saw that the label on the envelope was from where the diploma was coming from. And I opened it and it was like the golden light just shined out of there. I said, I'm officially an adult, you know? I was done with high school. I was moving on with my life. I can finally start my life. My GED was in there. I was finally, finally ready to go. So I graduated GED. And at that time, Job Corps had decided, they had sent them a letter and it said, if he still wants to come in, we're giving a tour every Tuesday if he would like to come in and look around. So I got excited. I said, new adventure. My mom told me, um, my mom told me that I could choose whether it was going to be Job Corps or the military. But either way, I had to get out because of all the things that I had done that said, you know, the disrespect. Every We just weren't getting along at all. We were not getting along. There was constantly a problem, right? And I was getting to the point where before I wouldn't talk back and now I would talk back. I, I started it, you know, here and there. You know, if I would get hit, then I started to hit back, you know? So it was getting to the point where it was not gonna end pretty, we need to separate. So, um, they, she told me it was either the military or Job Corps, but either way I had to get out. I said, oh, my decision's already made up, it's Job Corps. And the reason being is because they had been working so hard on it. They had been working so hard on getting me into Job Corps, you know, they've been busting it, but I was not gonna let it go to waste. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna go to Job Corps. My mom didn't agree with it. They didn't agree with it. You know, I was told things. 
uh, she said that, uh, you know, criminals go there. And which is true, because at my school, criminals were there. When I was, when I was going to the vocational school, people who had served time in jail were there. So I, she told me that, you know, if they were to get in trouble and I was caught with them, then I would be guilty by association. Now, I had known that my whole life, okay? I had been in situations where I had nothing to do with the incident, but I was there and I was caught, I was labeled guilty by association. So I did not want any part of that. And I figured, hey, it's a, it's a chance. Then if that's not going to happen, then it's going to be the military. Now, I did not, my whole life, I did not want to join the military. I never wanted to. I don't, I, I, di- I disagree with them even to this day, which is where I'm at now in the military. But even still, I disagree with them to this day, right? My decision was to go to Job Corps. I was told no, it was disagreed. So they said, they said the military was the best fit for people like me. I said, you know what, I'm gonna do this because again, we weren't agreeing on, on things. I don't wanna tell the, the, the things that happened, you know, between us and them. I don't wanna, I don't wanna talk about any of that because it, it's still hard to get. That, that's something I'll deal with them personally, but you know, it's personal. Anyway, I figured, you know what, I need to get out of here. I need to start my own life. So I basically, I'm gonna say this, I felt obligated to join the military because my parents had been trying to get people into the military for a long time. They had trying to, been trying to get somebody in there for a long time and, I, and they all failed. They all failed. You know, one had to come back because of asthma, the other couldn't touch his toes, you know, and one, Mark, who I tried to get in, took the ASVAB, the practice ASVAB, not the ASVAB, but the practice one, and failed it. And after he failed it, he said he wasn't joining the military. He said he had talked to everybody about joining the Coast Guard. He said as soon as he failed, he wasn't going. Me, however, I took the ASVAB, I took the practice ASVAB, I passed. So I said, hey, I can do this. Took every single ASVAB test and passed first time. Didn't have to redo it. So again, this person who said, oh, I'm better than you, this and that. Guess what? I didn't have to redo any of my schoolwork. I got GED done and ASVAB done with a blink of an eye. I, I just, I, I went straight through it. And it was hard. And there was a couple times I went shaking. I was praying to God. I said, please help me pass this. I don't want to redo. I'm trying to do something good with my life. I don't want to be made fun of anymore. I don't want to be bullied anymore. I want to show, I want to make a difference. I want to show who I really am. So I said, please, I kept praying, please help me get through this, help me get through this, help me get through this. I kept pushing for it. I kept pushing my mom to check for updates, things and that, things like that, blah, blah, blah. I passed it. I passed everything. So I went to my recruiter's office to go ahead and get it started. I got everything done with that too. I finished everything. And I went to Phoenix which was pretty nice, MEPS. I went to MEPS and it was pretty nice. Good food, made a couple friends, you know, things like that. And then it was on December 13th, I believe, of 2018, 2019, it was officialized that I was officially going to the military. I was going to uh, boot camp on January 13th of 2020. So I made it. I've already made it through the first one. Okay, I was able to do the stretches and everything, pass the exam, I was able to make it. So I made it through the first one. So it was game on. Get, round two came in, I went to basic training. I was already having, I started, once I got to middle, okay, let me put it this way. Once I landed, I knew it was a mistake. I knew it was a mistake. I, I, I felt it, I knew it, I'm not, I've told myself I'm not supposed to be here. This is not the place for me. 
right? The first thing they made us done, do, it was raining and they made us do push-ups in the rain. Already I was irritated. I was like, this is not what I, what, what I wanted my life to be. You know, this is, this is not it. You know, I had dreams of being a singer, a rapper, a writer, an actor. I did not have any dreams of, of doing this. So I, I touched down, I did basic training. It was, it was hard in the beginning. You know, I couldn't do any of the obstacles. I got through them, but I was always the last one to do it. Like everybody would be depending on me and I just, I let everybody down. I couldn't get through the obstacles. I couldn't do any of it. My body just started acting up. By middle, by mid basic training, I couldn't even bend my legs because if I bent my legs, they would get stuck like that and I couldn't extend them. I could, if I sat down, I couldn't get up. My, all the drill sergeants noticed I was 21 and already walking with like a really big limp. You know, it was hard for me to get down and get up. I had to have people help me sit down and help me stand up. So I did that. So I get to AIT. I'm, I graduated, I graduated basic training. I, I don't know how I did it. When we did the rucksack, I thought I was gonna die, literally, because it was dark. We were tripping over potholes. We were walking 16 miles with big old bags on our back. It was heavy, it hurt, and plus we had all of our gear on. It was so freaking excruciating. I was like, when is this ever gonna end? You know, and we would have breaks and I would be crying. I'd be like, please let this end. So we finally got to our campsite and I remember going to bed and waking up. My feet were hurting like a mother freaker. I had blisters all over it. It was not even funny. I could not even walk. And so it, I got through basic training and everybody told me, this one particular person, and excuse my language for what I'm about to say, but this individual who thought he was a badass told me, you're fucking useless and will never amount to anything. He said, you're a worthless piece of shit. And everybody in basic training was telling me that. The drill sergeants, everything. Guess what? I woke up on sunrise with a beret on my head and a patch on my shoulder saying, guess what? I graduated basic training. Y'all told me I wasn't going to. I graduated. So I got through, I went through graduation. I went through graduation. I finished basic training. I went to AIT. You know what the first thing they did as soon as I landed? They put me in a leadership position. I was in charge with the platoon. The first day I landed, they put me in charge. And you know what? Those soldiers who were in that platoon said that even to that day, I was one of the best uh, PGs they had. I was one of the best leaders that they had. They put me in charge to, to lead a march and then uh, my drill sergeant was calling everybody out, trying to get leaders, trying to get all this. She called my name. I had a loud voice. I said it loud and strong. I told her who I was. She said, bring that voice up here. I'm putting you in a leadership position. So my original position was a squad leader. I was a squad leader, right? We had it, the platoon separated into squads. It was only 30 people. It was a small platoon. But we had it um, into, into squads. I was in charge of a squad and then so forth. My best friend my 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 guy best friend um was in charge of the platoon but he didn't want it like i guess they told him that he was i guess they put him in charge but didn't tell him he was in charge and then once he found out he said he didn't want it so they put me in charge well after a while of debate they put me in charge because we had one pg there was supposed to be two pgs one male one female we had a, a female but no male and I was the one helping that female out, basically acting as the PG. She would tell me, hey, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? I did it all, right? I was always there for her. I helped her out. I helped her. I helped her take care of the platoon. So everybody would ask her, 
hey, who's the PG? Who's the male PG? Like, we need a male leader. And she said, he is. She told them I was. I didn't even know she was going to say that, but she told them I was. And so I was like, I mean, I didn't know I was PG. And so they called, one of the drill sergeants called my drill sergeant, who had the same last last name as me, Drill Sergeant Evans. She, They called her and she... Um, he said, who is the PG of this platoon? Because they're all, they're literally sitting here trying to debate who the leader is. We all stood there. She said, PS, she said, at the time I was a private, she said, Private Evans is the PG of the platoon. I was like, I rest my case. So I was the leader of the platoon for about two months. And then I got fired because I had an MRE in my pocket and it was making me look tacky. And my drill sergeant didn't want to let me go, but she doesn't like her leaders having tackiness. So she let me go. Um, I did become a squad leader once again. I turned from squad leader to road guard, back to squad leader, back to PG for a little bit, and then back to road guard. But either way, I had a position. I would would help the platoon get across the road. You know, I would do all that. So as, as you know, like I went to AIT with these leadership positions. And I was one, and even my drill sergeant told me I was one of the best. And so I graduated AIT. And now I'm in the regular army with a whole lot of problems. I have childhood trauma. I've already been diagnosed with it. I've been diagnosed with childhood trauma, PTSD, because of how I grew up and what I went through. Um, And then I have fractures in both of my legs from my hip all the way down to my foot, to my feet. I have sores in my neck. It's hard for me to move around. It's hard for me to get around. So backtracking in AIT, our drill sergeants would always ask, if you don't want to be in the army, raise your hand because people wouldn't listen. I never rose my hand. I didn't, but I did not want to be in the army, but I didn't raise my hand. I kept going, right? So I talked to her one-on-one. I said, I don't want to be here anymore. I said, I'm hurting really bad. My mental state is not where it's supposed to be. I, I, I don't want to be here. And so she said, wait till I got to my duty station and we could, and they could work on it. I get to my duty station, I tell them my situation, and then they were discussing, um, they were discussing whether they were gonna let me out because of my legs. I was on crutches, I had just got here, I was on crutches and they were already discussing the possibility of me leaving the army. Um, meanwhile, I told you how I have childhood trauma from what I went through, right? It was already bugging me. And so I attempted suicide. This was the first attempt I attempted suicide, right? I called my NCO. I said, hey, I'm thinking of suicide. I attempted it and then I told him I'm having suicidal ideations. I need to go to the hospital. So I went to the hospital or, or wait, they're not together. I had suicidal ideations and I told him that that's what was going on. And they had me looked at in the hospital. I told them I wanted to get, to get out. They said they were going to talk about it. And then it happened again. It happened a couple weeks later. It, it, was to, it just kept coming. And I had these ideations again. I was struggling, you know. I, I was thinking about how much I wanted to go home. You know, how much I didn't even want to be here. You know, I wanted, I wanted to go home. I wanted to leave this job. I wanted to leave what I was doing. So... I attempted it. This time, actually attempted it. And I went to the hospital. I was admitted to the hospital for six days because of this incident. I had a big old mark on my chest, cut on my wrist, cut on my stomach, both of which I still have the scars for. Um, and so I was admitted to the hospital. But see, this is why it didn't help. 
because the hospital was run by military and the military was the thing that was inflamed that was basically inflaming what was what i was going through the military was inflaming inflaming it right so it wasn't helping that it wasn't helping that they had military personnel running the hospital and as soon as i saw them walk in i said this is not gonna work at all this is not gonna work so i faked it i faked i faked it till i made it right I finally got out of the hospital because I wanted to see my girlfriend, at the, who was my fiance at the time. I wanted to see her, you know. I, I was tired of calling her on, the, on a flip phone for 15 minutes. You know, I wanted to actually FaceTime her and talk to her. So I said, you know what, I'm gonna get out of here because I wanna talk to my girl, right? She's, she's my support. So I, uh, I got out and I knew they hadn't fixed nothing. I was already saying it. They did not fix anything. So, I was like, I'm just, you know, gonna have to work with it. But see, this is the thing. When I was there, they asked me, what did I want? They say, do you want out of the army? I said, yes, I want out. I can't do this. I'm not physically or mentally fit for this, okay? Yeah, I work out here and there, but I am not, okay? I'm not, I'm not, especially not mentally ready for this. I can't. And I said, I, it's not safe for me. It's not safe for the people around me. I need to go. And so they said, okay, we got a, we got a, a chapter. We're gonna give you a chapter 517, which is an honorable discharge. I get all my benefits, but they diagnosed me with adjustment disorder mixed with anxiety and depression. That's the military, okay? The military literally does not know what they're doing. So I'm still waiting to seek treatment from an actual civilian hospital to find out what I have. And I believe I have emotional disorder because a lot of times I get angry about stuff I don't want to get angry about. I laugh about stuff I don't want to laugh about. I cry about stuff I don't want to cry about. So um, I'm really waiting until I get out so I can go to the hospital and you know seek treatment and kind of get a real diagnosis as to what I'm going through. But right now I do believe it's emotional disorder. Anyway, um, so they told me there was going to be a 517. I said, okay. They said it was going to take three months. Now, this is in September of last year. They said three months, right? So I said, okay, good. And then I told, I told people, the people that I worked with, I'm getting out. They told me I'm getting out. I'm getting out. So they finally started my process in October. They started it October 30th. And my provider told me, we got the ball rolling. You're getting out. It should be three months. You should be out January, maybe early February at the latest. Obviously, it's April and I'm still here. So that was a lie. So we're, I said, okay, good, I'm getting out. I called my girlfriend, my fiance. I told her, hey, I'm, um, I got good news. I'm going home, I'm getting out. You know, they finally said I'm, I'm getting out. So we started the process. So it was a bunch of this, you know, typing up paperwork, this and that, blah, blah, blah. I didn't start phase two of my, you know, discharge until December, you know, and December 17th, I got the results. They. I went to the back and they put a note on there. They say, clear to separate, end of discussion, he's getting out. And so I was like, good, you know, they just said it. I'm getting out, I'm clear to separate. So it went, it, it's been going up the ladder, but it's been taking a really long time. They use every little excuse. Oh, we got a four day coming up, guys. Let's go take a four day break. Oh, we got spring break. Let's go take spring spring break. Oh, it's Easter. I'm gonna go 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 home for Easter. Like they don't. I've seen all these people who I started my discharge before them, right? I've seen all these people getting out. And I'm like, how the hell? Like, how am I still here? You know, you said three months and it's been eight months. Okay, like what, what, what's, what's the likelihood of that? So today I spend my days regretting this decision, regretting my life, doubting myself, 
I should have never done this. You know, I, I, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have did what I did in school. I could have went through call. I could have got done, gone to college, got a better life. Okay. I could have done so much. The, I, I don't know if I would have met my wife who, who I'm married to now. I don't know if I had, would have met her or not, but I know I would not have been sitting here in these stupid barracks, you know, these burning up barracks doing absolutely stupid stuff, you know? So I, today I spend my life doubting myself, telling myself what I say doesn't matter, you know, because that's how I grew up. I grew up under the impression what I say does not matter, you know? And I had the people come in and tell me, you know, false truths, false lies about my parents, about what my parents were saying to me, right? And you know, sometimes I gave them really bad trouble. Okay, it wasn't just all them, it was myself. Like sometimes I was stupid, all right? I was, I was stupid, all right? I was ignorant and I still am to this day. Like I said, I don't like to listen to people, you know? I like to do things my way. And a lot of time, a lot of time, about 98% of the time, my way doesn't work, okay? So I spend my life today regretting the fact that I, one, did not listen to my parents, two, did not take the route I should have done, and three, didn't end up where I wanted to be in life, you know? So I'm kind of, the reason for this podcast is to give you the ability to come in and talk about you, talk about your life, talk about your situations, your circumstances, okay? I am 22 years old now. I am 22 years old. I will be 23 on August 1st. I am already married. I have a two-story house in Oklahoma. But see, let me tell you about my problems, right? I am broke. My wife has two jobs. The army has been cutting my paycheck. I got promoted twice. I am a private first class in the United States military. I got promoted twice, okay? I was making $900 a paycheck, okay? And then they wanna come in and say, oh, we're gonna take social security out of soldiers' paychecks. So now from $900, I went down to $800, right? And then the army wanna get even stupider and take it from 800 to 600, which is way less than an E1 gets paid because an E1 gets paid $700 a paycheck. I'm getting 600 and I'm higher than an E1 and E2. See, so my wife and I live in Oklahoma. We have a two-story beautiful house in Oklahoma. It's really nice, has a fireplace, everything. We already set up the master bedroom, everything. We live with her mom, right? Each of the house every month is $1,200, not including the utilities and all that. So we have to each split $400, right? Now, because the army want to get stupid, okay, and cut my paycheck, I got bills to pay. I got a phone bill that was up in the 200s, okay? I had to pay it off, which is about $400. Finally got a new phone, okay? But then then I got all these uh, hidden subscriptions attached to my account. And then when I go to my account, I find a negative charge building up, building up, building up, building up, right? It'd be negative $200. By the time I get paid, I got to put some of that money into my checking account so that negative charge is gone. By the time I do that, I don't have enough money to pay for the house. I don't have enough money to pay for the house. Every time I try to get my driver's permit, I can't even do that because I don't have enough money to get the certificate that I need, the, my birth certificate or my ID, which my wife finally got for me, you know? I, I can't, I can't, you know, I don't have money for anything by the time I get done because the army's cutting my paycheck. I'm not getting paid enough for this, okay? And my wife is now working two jobs. She is a, a beautiful, beautiful nurse. She is a, a cardiology assistant, right? And, she t- and that's her first job. And her second job, she takes care of old people, right? So she's got two jobs in the health department. She is supporting all of us, 
right? And the pressure is on her, you know? She had, her and I have mental breakdowns almost every single day. If it's not her, it's me. If it's not me, it's her. We are always having mental breakdowns every day because we're stuck. We can't do anything, you know? We cannot do anything. And it's like, it's like every move we're trying to make gets blocked. I go to see her in Oklahoma, right? We have a friend who's an Uber driver. We ask her, hey, can you come pick us up, right? Then she she does it at first, and then all these excuses start coming up. I can understand if you have two jobs, all right, and you have to get up at 4 a.m., that's fine, okay? But then when you start saying, when you tell me that your car has to be fixed, and you show me the appointment, and then the appointment passes, and you tell me your car is fixed, right? And then I ask you, okay, now that your car is fixed, can you help me? And then you start saying, oh, I have another appointment coming up. Oh, and possibly a third job. Bullshit. Okay, now you just don't want to help. So everywhere we're turning, we have nobody to help us out financially. Okay, we are struggling. She is holding everybody up. The army wants to take their time getting me out. I'm trying so hard. I've been looking for jobs every single day, busting my butt. You know, putting in an application every single day. Two to three applications every day, right? Nobody hiring me because the only job I can get right now is an online job. And the online jobs are not help, are not hiring, okay? And all the jobs that I actually want in person are hiring, but I can't do them because I'm stuck here. You know, I'm stuck here. And they're off post and I have, most of the time, no ride to get off post because I don't have a car. And a lot of the people that I try to ask for help don't want to help because they got their own things going on which I can understand, but sometimes when somebody's asking for help and you know you can do it and you don't wanna do it, that's just irritating, right? So we got no help. My wife is supporting all of us, okay? And it's hard on her, okay? Her mother expects so much out of her, all right? Her mother expects so much out of her, and sometimes I don't, I don't speak Spanish, so her mother be dis- like talking to her in 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 Spanish. But I can tell by the way she's speaking, how fast she's speaking. I can tell if it's disrespectful or not, you know. And I can pick up topics of what they're talking about, and I can see that she's sitting here telling her things. And I'm like, hey, like I'm her husband. Why are you disrespecting her like this? And especially in front of me. You know, and then she comes crying to me, babe, like, you know, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Like, I don't. I'm in Kansas. She's in Oklahoma. I can't even help my wife, you know, and that's hard. That hurts me because the army, I already told them my wife has been in three car accidents. She's tried to kill herself twice with me being on the camera. She has tried to try to attempt suicide. Okay. I have been telling them this is an emergency. I need to get home. I need to get out. What did they do? I don't care. She's my wife now, so now you have to, okay? This is an emergency. Like, my wife is going through serious stuff right now, serious mental turmoil, and you want to sit there and play games with my discharge, you know? I got to get home. I got to help her out. I got to be a husband. I got to be there for her, okay? So, it's irritating. Nobody really has money. She gets paid bi-weekly for her nursing job and weekly for her new job. For me, it's bi-weekly and they're cutting it down. For her mother... Uh, her mother, her mother's job decided to start cutting her paycheck, so now she's not getting paid enough. So the only one who's actually making some decent form of money, some in some way a decent form of money, is my wife. And none of us can help, and especially me. I don't care if her mother can't help, but me, I'm her wife. I mean, her husband. My bad, her husband, right? And my bad, I made that joke because, you know, sometimes I call my wife the man of the relationship because technically she's the one taking care of everyone. But see, the point is, is that my wife, you know, is supporting everybody 
and I can't do nothing to help because I'm stuck here. I'm dealing with this mental problem, this physical problem. I've been telling the army for a long time, hey, I need to go. Can you let me out? But they want to take their time. They just recently started my paperwork back up after a month. After a month of forgetting about it, they started it up. They don't care. And then they tell you, oh, we care. We care about our soldiers. They don't give a damn. They have pregnant women work all freaking night. They have soldiers who are on crutches go to the field and go shoot. Go wear heavy armor. You know, they don't care. And it's it's the higher ups. It's the people who make money. Okay, they don't care about the people below them who aren't making as much as them, who are in situations. Okay, the highest rate in the army of suicide is from people between the ages of 18 and 24. It's between 18 and 24, okay? Because they're the lower class. They don't make as much as the higher-ups. They don't have this. They don't have that. And me, I don't have my wife, okay? My NCO has told me, oh, uh, it's nothing to worry about this and that. See, this is the problem with that. My NCO has his wife home every day, his wife and his kids. When he gets off work, he can drive home, see his wife, his kids. Me, however, I'm stuck here. She's there. Okay, I gotta sit there and pray that she makes it home safely because she's already been in three car wrecks. Okay, I gotta pray that she makes it home safely. I only get to see her every two months. If two months go by before I can go see her again, and it's not for that long. Maybe for a week, maybe for 10 days, and then I gotta come back. You know, and it's irritating. So, this is why I'm making this podcast because it gives you all. The ability to come here and just let loose, just let out. Me, I'm letting loose, I'm letting out as an introduction to this podcast so that you all can feel that, hey, you can do the same thing. You can do the same thing. You can be who you are. Be yourself, you know? And that's why I'm telling this tonight. I'm going through a lot. She's going through a lot. I'm praying every day. And even with that, I just got baptized, right? It's hard for me to make a change and say, hey, I'm baptized. I'm Christian now. It's hard for me because I see all these stupid problems. I see all these people abusing people that can't take care of themselves, right? I see people on the street who don't have money, who who are homeless, getting picked on by people who do have money and getting treated by the lower class. And it hurts me, right? I drive by, I, I go by, and I see these people on the street with no money, ask, with signs asking for money, right? And it hurts me in my heart because I tell myself, God, I wish I had the money to go over there and help them and to give them something. I don't care what they do with that money, okay? I will buy them food. I will put a, a, a few dollars in there and I'll say, what, are, what you do with that money is your business, but take this food so that way you're not out here starving, right? I see that and I can't go there and I can't help them, okay? I can't because of my situation. So, and then just recently, then I find out I'm trying to reunite with my adopted mom. I'm trying to reunite with her. And then I find out, you know, all this drama starts. You know, my brother wanna start telling lies and then tell everybody I'm the one saying it, okay? Like, it's it's irritating, I can't, I can't do it no more. So this is why I'm making this podcast. Y'all think you know what I should do? Leave a comment, you know, follow, like, do whatever you wanna do. If you all wanna come up here and talk one-on-one, I can do that. I know how to invite you, I can bring you here. You can be on this podcast Whenever you like, next Monday, I'm hoping to have somebody on here, you know, to talk to talk with. We can go one-on-one. I, my episodes are every Monday, right? My episodes are every Monday, 6.30, okay? 6.30, it's an hour. From 6.30 to 7.25, 7.30, depending on, you know, if I have something to do or not. So, I'm, uh, I'm about to go, but I want you all to know. 
Okay, I want you all to know. All right, you can come here now. You're not. You don't have to be silent anymore. Your voice matters. You matter. This is hidden voice. The hidden voice. The inner voice. Okay, the inner voice in, in inside you telling you, hey, speak out, speak up. You matter. Do not remain silent anymore. You make a difference. You are a difference. Okay. Every birth that comes from you is a star in the sky. If you look at this, if you look at the stars in the sky, let me tell you something important. You're looking at a reflection of yourself. Okay. Join me in inner voice. Help me to encourage other people that they matter. That what they say matters. What they do matter. Who they are matters. Please. Please do not be afraid to ask me. You know, I, I will give you my social medias. I will give you anything you want to hear. You can find me on Spotify. You can find me on Spotify. I'm going to put the link in here if I can find my notebook. I'm going to put the link in here. So the link, it the the website is going to be Anchor. That's all lowercase a n c h o r dot f m forward slash Antonio dash Malik dash Smith. Again, that is anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M forward slash Antonio slash or dash Malik dash Smith. You can find me on Spotify or basically anywhere that you can listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Antonio Feliz. I thank you for this time, for this effort, for everything that you have given me tonight. I love you all so much. Can't wait for another episode with you guys. Thank you for being here for episode one. And I will see you next week on at the same time, 6.30. Unless I get busy, I will let you all know. I will post it on Facebook or anything like that. I will let you all know. Thank you all so much for what you do. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I hope next week to have my first, first, first guest on my episode. Thank you.